to hear about Jonathan and Dafe as well being added to God's kingdom. Amen. And it's always a special place in my heart when men make the decision to follow God. Because similar to our theme yesterday at the sports day, King of the Mountain, it wasn't about us being the king as men. It was about Jesus being the king as men. Amen. And we noticed, especially myself, since I didn't get a trophy, (laughs) that I'm no longer king in this world. And another young buck has taken over in the area of basketball. And my brother, uh, he we came down to just like Derek. We got to the championship game in four on four basketball. We played our hearts out, but our hearts were not big enough. And my brother and his team were Brandon Wolf and a friend that we grew up with and another guy that's been coming and playing at Mike Whitehead's place. They were able to win the championship over his big brother. So it was, a, it was still a great time, though. It was still a great time. I'm not bitter, brother. But I want to also call out another man. We had a Bible trivia there as well. And we got a guy here that knows his Bible. And you're looking around, you're like, yeah, it's probably me, right? (laughs) The only person that could say that is Tom Briscoe, who took a trophy home for knowing his Bible. And also, we had a close second with our other brother, Luke Lancaster, who was representing as well. But man, it was a great time to be able to get guys together, to be able to play different things like ping pong. Uh, to have some grandmasters of chess there uh, yesterday. I was not one of those. <laughs> playing basketball, playing volleyball, being able to get to know other men that are in the fight just like we are. And some men that are not in the fight that want to join the fight as well. And it was, it was definitely a time, a sobering time, a humble time, knowing how much we need God and how much we need each other. So we did. We had a great time. Uh, Nobody got hurt too bad, right? So that's a a great thing, Um, just besides the feelings and emotions. But that's enough of that. We did have a great time. But I'm very excited about what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to continue in our series, If God is For Us. And as Derek had mentioned last week, he did a powerful job laying out heaven for us, and even laid out the dimensions. As Revelation says, the dimensions of the city of heaven will be 1,400 miles wide, long, and high. So we're going to live in a great cube (laughs) in heaven as God is preparing the many different stories uh, of hotel rooms for his people. But how are we going to get there? Because we want to be in heaven with God. Amen. We want to have one of those rooms on the 1400th floor there in heaven. But how do we get there? And I'm glad that uh, Walt and Kim were able to share um, before because I was able to go to the Old Testament survey class as well. And I learned something that will help prepare my place in heaven as well as we journey through the many generations of the Old Testament. And I saw the examples of the relationship that God has with mankind 
that God has with us. And I'm constantly baffled how simple God's expectations are for us. It was very enlightening to learn the Old Testament and the intensity of God's pursuit of me. God's pursuit of you. One the question I have for you guys. Do you think that God's expectations for you are simple? Do you think that? When you think about the expectations that our Lord has for you as a man, as a woman, sitting in these chairs today, do you think that, man, this is pretty simple? It's not complicated. Or do you think, like most of us, that no, it's not complicated? Or yes, it's very complicated. Or maybe sometimes. It depends. Is it raining outside? Is it sunny? Did I lose my job? Do I have my job? Am I making great money? What's going on? But Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind in Matthew 22, 36. He said the, the law of the prophets can be summed up with this one command. Right? It wasn't a paragraph. It wasn't multiple pages. It wasn't even multiple books. He said we can sum it up with this phrase, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he said the second is similar. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if I love God, if I love my neighbor, then I'm good, right? Is that, is that what it is? Is that what it boils down to? It boils down to that. And one other thing that I noticed is that in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it talks about love. Because many of us have a tainted understanding of love, right? Derek did a great job. I want to say it was close by Christmas, uh, describing love and God's love. Not just the love that we think about, right? Not the love that we've experienced in life, which is definitely incomplete compared to God. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, love must be sincere. And let me ask you guys, when you think of the word sincere, when you think of the term sincerity, what do you think about? You know, yeah, go ahead. Honesty. I heard some. Authentic. Pure, trustworthy, genuine. These are all things we think about when it comes to being sincere. And the good word says that love must be sincere. It must be all these. And I'm reminded of a story of ancient Rome. You guys may have heard this. It's called the, it's, it's the pottery process. And it said, It's been said that there were quite a few pottery makers in the ancient Roman world. And it made a very profitable business. It made for a very profitable business. Like today, the pottery was formed and then baked in an oven, kind of like art class back in high school or middle school for those that took art. I was required to take art. So the highly regarded potters would inspect the pottery out of the fire to look for cracks, right? So we'll put, we've got an image here on the board. We got the pot. We made the clay. 
We did our due diligence. It took our time, days, uh, hours, whatever the case may be, to make this pot. We put it in the oven. We take it out. And the good potters would inspect it for cracks because if it had one crack, they would discard it. The same situation you have less reputable potters would take the blemished vessel because they'll do the same thing. They'll spend the days, spend the hours making the pottery, put it in the oven, take it out. But if it had a crack in it, what would they do? Fill it with wax, right? Hot it, then paint it, and then sell it for a little less price than what the reputable potters would do and make more profit because it didn't take multiple times to make a a pottery because I can do it one time and then cover up the blemishes. This prompted the honorable pottery makers to hang a sign over their entrance to their stores that said, Sinceris, meaning this store has pottery without wax. Without wax. And the actual definition of this Latin word means pure and clean. So let's go back to ancient Rome. Let's go back to Jesus' time. If you were buying pottery, you could go for the authentic or you could go for the, I don't know if it's quite authentic. You can go for the sincere, the complete, the genuine, the clean, the without blemish. Or you can roll the dice on that 50% off pottery born special, right? And we think about now, Jesus came to be the light of the world to reveal cracks in our own lives and show us the perfect way, the sincere way, how to sincerely love. And in John chapter 3, verse 19, I'll read verse just 21 of John chapter 3. It says, but whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So, guys, we have a dilemma When it comes to sincerely loving, to sincerely living out a life of God, we have the opportunity to live life in the light where Jesus reveals everything, where we bring our actions, bring our thoughts into the light, or we can be counterfeit and not bring ourselves into the light. And coming under Jesus' light can be, a, can be very scary at times, right? Yes. Revealing my thoughts, revealing my heart, that can be scary. Because unlike Jesus, I wasn't one that would be worthy of being sacrificed on the cross. But sometimes he reveals what is really in our hearts. And like a doctor, it's good for us. Then the next question is, do we truly want to get well? And I want y'all to soak on that one for a little bit because we know we have cracks. We know we have infirmities. We know we have different things, different blemishes. But do we truly want to bring them into the light so that God can cleanse us? And that's tough at times because sometimes we're fine with how we're living in life. I'm fine with my marriage. I'm fine with my children. I'm fine with my job. I'm fine with my hobbies. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. 
But Jesus said he comes to bring it all into the light. Another use of the term sincerity in the old times of the Old Testament denoted what is complete. And I could really recognize this in the scripture, Joshua chapter 24. Kim had actually read this earlier in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. It says, and this is the ESV version, it says, Now therefore, this is Joshua speaking to the people. It says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers have served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So as we look at that and think about sincerity and a wholeheartedness, Joshua is telling the people that we must serve the Lord completely, wholly, not just partially. And I'm seeing here that sincerity is not partial. Because when I think about my time, I'm going to take you, let's go back 20 years. Let's go back to when I was sitting on the front row, actually probably the third row of the teen ministry, back when I was younger. I became a disciple when I was 14 years old, and I remember my teen leaders, our teen helpers reminding us, hey, brothers, remember to encourage your sisters. They would tell us that all the time, encourage your sisters, because when they go to school, what's happening? They're getting bombarded, bombarded, bombarded by men that boys, they are not trying to lead them to heaven. They were not trying to lead them towards God. And I remember in my incomplete love thinking, oh, man, if I take this girl out, she's going to think I like her, like her, right? You know, if I take this girl out, you know, what am I going to say? If I take this girl out, do I have any money to even pay, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, great question, Stephen. <laughs> and what ended up happening? I loved incompletely because I didn't let complete love, sincere love, drive me to truly take care of my teen sisters. And as I think about that, it was a lot of brothers that was in a similar boat than me back then. And as I look back now at that time, the people that were in my teen ministry, many of them walked away. Because of relationships. Many of them end up walking away because some guy was telling her exactly what she wanted to hear. And I think, I'm, I mean, it's just sobering thinking about that God will be so patient with me even when my love was so incomplete. That he'll allow me to eventually repent about the time I got to campus, amen, I finally started taking sisters out. I found out about blood banks, you know, that I could get money. I found out about creative dates where you, you don't have to go to a steak dinner every time. You don't have to go to a steak dinner every time. And that's all of us, all right? Unless your wife says you need to, then okay, then you do what she says. But I finally, it finally clicked for me. It finally clicked that in order for me to love completely in this situation, that I must be a giver of myself. That I must be a giver 
and not just an excuse maker. Joshua, when he spoke to the Israelites, he understood that true service, true love, and true worship of God meant I'm giving my whole to God. Everything that I have for God. That's what sincerity is. It's not ignorance, right? Because sometimes when I was thinking about this, you got sincerity and you got innocence, right? They're similar, but they're different. Innocence. I'll take my son, for example. My son is about to be four here in June, and he loves to drink water from a water fountain. It's like the fountain of youth. It's like, it's, it's just something about the water in the water fountain. No matter how crusty that water fountain is, that he loves the purity in his mind of drinking that water. And in all innocence, he's not planning to drink water and get it all over his shirt. He's not planning on doing that. All he's thinking about is the fountain of youth that's in that water fountain. So he goes, he drinks some water, he bathes in the rest, (laughs) and he turns around and says, can I have some more? Now, like, hey, just soak it up from your shirt, son. That's innocence, right? That's innocence. That's just just being young. That's being immature. That's just not having the the knowledge, the wisdom, and height to be able to drink and not get wet. But innocence, it can have a a level of ignorance that's in there. Because we're just doing what we know to do. I just want to get some water. I just want to stay hydrated, my son may be thinking. When it comes to our lives, sometimes we do things, and it's out of an innocent heart. I go to church out of an innocent heart of, I want to be close by God. But then you got sincerity. Where sincerity... It doesn't have that level of ignorance that's in it. Because as we, as we saw through Joshua, that it has a completeness that's in it. And I hear a lot of times, a lot of times, reaching out to different people. And they say, yes, I invite them out. Hey, come to church. Come to worship with us. Come read the Bible with us. And what do they say about church? I'll just worship at my home my home, by myself, because God lives right here. And they forget that God made a kingdom, not just a living room for us to worship. Some people say, hey, I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need the word of God. I don't need any of that. All I need to do is just spiritually be in some type of spiritual mind as I'm driving to work, right? And that's my commune with God as I'm cursing out the guy to my right and to my left as I'm driving. And the sincerity, the completeness, the wholeness is not there. You know, even when it comes to to things like taking the bread, taking the juice, our discipleship times, confessing our sins. What do we do? We make excuses. Mm-hmm. 
We find reasons of thinking that we're being sincere, but no, we're not. We're not being sincere. We're not having a sincere heart. We're not, like in Hebrews 10, drawing near to God with a sincere heart. And we're challenged by the scriptures is that if I'm really going to be for God, then my love for God must be sincere. Amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, I want us to look at this real quickly. Paul talks to the church in Corinth about godly sincerity versus worldly wisdom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 12, he says, Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Here we see that godly sincerity goes against worldly wisdom, right? They're not the same thing. Really being sincere, having a complete love for God versus worldly wisdom is totally different. And how many times do you or sometimes talking to someone or even make the excuse ourselves to excuse ourselves from obeying God's command and then calling that being sincere? I'm going to stay home. I'm just going to commune with God today. Because I, I just want to be just extra close to him. And we think I'm being sincere. We sometimes play, we play games on ourselves, right? Yeah. We play games on ourselves thinking that, hey, we're, go- we're, gonna, we're doing all right. We're doing something right. But that's worldly wisdom. Yeah. Worldly wisdom says, hey, if you go to church more than you don't go to church, then it's all right. You do more good than you do bad, that's all right. But God... As we saw, as many of us saw in that Old Testament survey, God wants more and demands more and deserves more than just that. Amen? Because he wants me. He wants you. He wants all that we have. He wants what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm doing. He wants all of that of each and every one of us. And we can't put God in the box. We can't do it. We can try. You know, it just don't happen. He's not a genie, right, that fits inside of a bottle. God created the bottle, right? (laughs) He created all that. But the thing that I'm challenged with day in and day out is, am I going to completely love? And I just pray that we all ask that of ourselves. Are we going to sincerely love? Are we going to show that we're for God by not just playing church, not just showing up to church because my mommy and daddy told me to, not just showing up to church because it's some cool people there, but showing up to church because our mighty God is there and he has saved me. And if I had anything else in this world besides him, it would be nothing. And if we live our lives like that, if we live a life like that, 
we can truly live life to the full and be able to have a full life with God. Amen. Amen. I want to look at one sincere. I want to leave us with the test. So you're thinking, okay, how can I really be sincere, Clint? You know, it seemed like that's one of those, you know, unapproachable things like perfection. It's close. But when it comes to sincerity, it has an act of purity and truth that's in it. And I want us to look at a quick story of, I know you guys may have even heard about this story. Because I know it baffled me when I was younger. In 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 9. And it talks about a man that touched the ark of the Lord and then died. I'm just going to call them you for today. In verse 9 of 1 Chronicles chapter 13. It says, and when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, you put out his hand to take hold of the ark. For the oxen had stumbled because they were transporting the oxen on a, on a cart pulled by or transporting the ark on a cart pulled by oxen. In verse 10, it says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Yuza and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark. And he died there before God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. In verse 12, it says, and David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark of the God home to me? Because the Philistines had taken it. So David did not take the ark home into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with a household of Ebed or Obed Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed Edom all that he had. When we have the Lord in our house, we will be blessed. Amen. Amen. That is one thing I am very certain of. But another thing I'm very certain of is if we're not doing it God's way, we're just not doing it at all. This story perplexes me because I remember when I first read it and first heard it, I was like, this guy was just trying to protect the ark, right? Right. They were carrying the ark. They had rescued it from the Philistines. It was at one Israelite's house. They was taking it back to the city of David. And as they was transporting it, the oxen that were pulling the cart that had the ark, it stumbled. And he touched it. To try to keep it up right. And what happened when he touched it? He died just like that. And I'm like, wow, what? <laughs> That's like somebody dropping a Bible and I try to catch it almost in my mind. But then I get to understand a little bit more. And this is our truth test. This is our sincerity test. Number one, when it came to this situation, what I came to learn it enumerated there in 1 Chronicles 15, 2, that only the Levites were to carry the ark. And Bible scholars, as they look at Yuza, they couldn't tell if he was a Levite descent or not. But for sure, only the Levites were to carry the ark. And number two, when they carried the ark, it wasn't supposed to be by a cart. What was it supposed to be by? Poles. So they won't have to touch it. Keep it on poles and have Levite men transport the ark. 
These are all words from God. You can see there in Exodus chapter 25. And then last but not least, first, only Levites, when you transport it, only transport it with the poles. And then number three, never touch the ark. It's like going to some of the empty nesters' houses sometime with my kids. I'm like, kids, never touch the furniture, okay? Some of this stuff is much beyond my paycheck. So please don't touch anything. <laughs> Bubble wrapped. But these guys here, they should have known this, right? These were Israelites. These were God's people. God gave his word to his people. And they should have known protocol. And especially David being king, one of the requirements of the king was to write down the entire law. So at least he should have known it. But instead, out of his I guess, incomplete zeal, and before knowing about this, before studying this out, I would have thought out of his sincerity that he went out to try to do something for God. But God is telling me much differently. That sincerity is complete. Sincerity is pure. Sincerity is clean. Sincerity is based on him. So luckily in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 14, when they came back, when King David came back to lead it, David used his study guide the second time. He used his cheat sheet and said, okay, I am not going to make this mistake again. Because that was crazy seeing a God die as we were walking. And to see that God is truly about his business. But I want to ask you guys today, ask myself today, do we think that's the same God that we serve? A God that is very serious about us following his ways. Not just because he is king, but because... He do love us tremendously. And he knows that if you touch that ark, you will die. He knows if we flirt with sin, flirt with sin, that it will overtake us. He knows that if we walk that line, we will go over it. He knows that. So do we truly believe that we serve a God that hates sin? And are we a people that hates sin like God because we truly do want a relationship that we love, that we sincerely love completely our God. That's what I want to be. I pray that our body of disciples, our church will be known as those that love the truth and sincerely live lives by that truth from God. Amen. Amen. Sincerely knowing that God is the way or hit the highway, right? That God's way when it comes to living life to prepare for eternity with him in heaven, that he has a standard and he doesn't tolerate anything outside of him because he knows that that leads to destruction. We need more of us to live that complete life. I was challenged. I'm still challenged as I continue the journey through the Old Testament to know that I can with God do anything. Amen. That we can with God do anything. And that includes sincerely loving 
and showing that we're for God, but sincerely loving him. We have a God. We have a savior. We have the good book. And we have this kingdom of God as our foundation. Amen. And we can use God and Jesus' command to test our own sincerity in our life. That we can test, is it true? To test, is it from God? And then we can truly know it's him. And the question I want to leave you guys with, as we have up here on the board, do you truly believe that God's way is the best way? The sincere, pure, and true way. And as we get time, I'm going to close out in a prayer. You know, as we get time to fellowship, as we get ready to, to pick up our children from kids' class, let's talk about do we truly believe that his way is better than my way? That his way is complete and my way is incomplete. And by our hearts and by our lives, we will answer. But I just pray that we can use the people that we have. And friends, or if you're visiting, it's your first time here. Talk with the friend that brought you. Talk with some of the people that's close by you of seeing truly, do I think God's way is the best way? And then if I don't think it's the best way, let's sit down and study the Bible to figure out what his way is. Because we must have an incomplete knowledge of him if we think that. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Dearly Father, as we close out our time of being able to look deeply into your scriptures, to look at how you pursued us, how you are pursuing us as we speak, have you have used the person to our left or to our right? Have you used people all across this nation, all across this world to point us to you? To remind us of your great goodness, your great grace, and how your grace trumps any worldly wisdom or knowledge that we obtained. I thank you for your patience, God. You know, as I was sharing and, and recounting back of my time as a teenager and just how incomplete my love for my sisters were, I'm reminded, I'm sobered about how complete. That I want to live today. That I want to sincerely love not only my wife, but all the people that you have given in your kingdom. That to truly, to truly, sincerely love from the heart, completely, true, clean, pure, genuine God. Because by that, we can understand more of your goodness. We can understand more of our purpose. I just thank you for every soul that weathered the rain to get here to worship you today. And I just pray that as we converse after we finish up, that we can talk about is, is your way truly better than our way? And what are we showing in our lives? We love you, God. We just thank you again for showing us your glory here on earth. And we can't wait to see your full glory in heaven one day. We love you, and all this we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We are dismissed. Thank you guys for worshiping with us. And if you are visiting, we do have a welcome table here to the left, so please come take a gift.
and thank you for coming out to visit.